the ninth chapter of Hilchas Tayin Venitin, the laws of a plaintiff and defendant, the laws of financial disputes. Today's peta continues with the discussion of Chazaka, who has presumed ownership of an object, continuing in particular a discussion of metaltaline movable objects. This perek contains 13 halachas. Perek Chi, the ninth perek, halacha Aleph. In the previous perek we learned a general principle by metaltaline movable objects, that whoever is now holding this object, he has the chazaka, he has the presumed ownership, unless, of course, there are other factors involved, as the Rambam enumerated many of them. One of the ones he enumerated is if this is an article, a utensil, which which was originally made for the purpose of renting, for the purpose of lending out. In such a case, since the whole reason the object was made was for this purpose, then even if someone else is holding on to it, it is assumed that it is the original owner's possession, because it's expected to be in someone else's hands, because he usually rents this out or lends it out. In the first three halachas, the Rambam will discuss a similar law, the case of an uman, a craftsman, who was given utensils to repair. And so too by him, he has no presumed ownership over an object just because he is holding it. The reason he is prob- probably holding on to this object is because it has been given to him to repair. Therefore, the general principle that by metaltal immovable objects, presumed ownership is in the wa- hands of the one who is now holding it does not apply to an uman. Halacha Aleph. A craftsman who usually repairs things has no assumed ownership over those utensils that he is holding. Whether they are in utensils which were made to lend out or to rent, certainly those he would not be presumed to have ownership. That would be even if he was not a craftsman, as we mentioned in the previous pedic. And so, But even other utensils, he also has no presumed ownership over them. Ketzad, for example, Ra'a A person sees his utensils in the possession of a craftsman. And he brings witnesses that this utensil once belonged to him. And he claims that I gave it to you in order to fix. It's really mine. It's not true. It came to my hands through you selling it to me or giving it to me outright as a gift. And you have no more ownership of it. Or the craftsman claims that after you gave it to me to fix, then you decided to give it to me or sell it to me. What do we do in this case? Even though there are no witnesses to testify that he was given this object, we nevertheless believe the original owner of this vessel. And we take it away from the craftsman. However, the owner of the original owner must take a rabbinic oath to counteract the claim of the uman, of the craftsman, as in any case of a kefan akal, if someone denies a claim against him, he is required to take a rabbinic oath. However, in this case, unlike other cases of metaltalim, usually we would take the one who is now holding the keli, and he would have to swear that it is really his, since he has presumed ownership. Over here, since the original owner has presumed ownership, we give it back to him, and he must take the shavuot heses. The Yeshka Einim, and among the Ga'enim, the Ramam here apparently is referring to the Rif, that the, since the Rif comes before, he refers to him as, the, as one of the Ga'enim. In the general uh, structure of, of uh, the history of 
state of transmission, we usually refer to the Rif as a Rishon, not one of the Gainim. But in any case, the Rambam refers to him as one of the Gainim, and he put a twist, a new extension of this law. Shadonu, they ruled, Even if the original owner has no witnesses that this once belonged to him. Nevertheless, since he saw his utensils in the possession of this craftsman. And furthermore, And the craftsman himself admits that it once belonged to the original owner and was sold to him, Nemon. We nevertheless believe the original owner, even though he, cannot, he has no independent proof that these utensils belong to him, since the Uman himself admits that it once belonged to him. Now he claims that it was sold. But since he also admits that it was sold to him, and the original owner had it at one time, then what difference is it? between the earlier claim where we do not believe the Uman to say he bought it, and this case where the Uman said he bought it. We compare the two cases, even though one case we have independent verification, and over here only verification that it originally belonged to the owner is through the Uman himself, nevertheless we believe him. However, if the Uman makes an even stronger claim, he claims that it never, this thing never happened. You never had this, Kaylee. This belonged to me all the time. I didn't buy it from you. In this case, we believe the Uman, the craftsman, and the craftsman must take a rabbinic oath. Since over here we have no idea whether, as far as this object, he's even an Uman, and the other person was the original owner, we cannot apply this this exception over here. Since otherwise, the, a person would be able to go to an woman's house, he'd be able to pick anything out and say, this is mine, I gave it to you to fix, or go to anything in the store and make such a claim. Since we have no other way of verifying that this belonged to the original owner except his own claim, then we cannot believe him. We believe the woman and he takes a rabbinic oath. However, as we said before, if the owner or the, the claimed owner, can bring witnesses that this utensil once belonged to him, we do not believe the craftsman since we know that it once belonged to him. However, the Rambam concludes on this law of the Rif, this law is amazing, is amazing in my judgment. In other words, the Rambam says he does not understand this law of the Rif. Why not? Because in the case where we have independent verification, meaning we have witnesses that it belonged to the original owner, here we understand why the Uman shouldn't be believed. But if the Uman himself is the only one that is giving substance to this claim of the Balabias that the Kali once belonged to him, we should believe him with the Migoy, as though we have had the principle many times of Migoy, that if someone it says, you don't believe me. If you think I'm lying, I could have said a better lie. So too over here, we would believe the Uman if he said, Lo elam, if he said that it never belonged to him. So now, if he admits that it once belonged to him, but it was sold, why should we not believe the Uman? We should believe the craftsman. If you think he's lying, he could have said a better lie. He could have said that it never ever belonged to you. It always belonged to me. For this reason, the Rambam says it's a pellet. And then like Snalacha, the Rambam will bring a case where we rely on such a migoy of the craftsman. Halacha base. In Halacha Aleph, we know presently and can locate where this vessel is, this, this utensil, in the craftsman's shop. Let's say, We do not see, we do not know exactly where this vessel is in the hands of the craftsman. The only claims that a certain utensil I gave you to fix. That 
that afterwards you changed your mind and you sold it or gave it to me as a gift. In this case, the craftsman takes a rabbinic oath to deny the claim of, the, of, the, of this reported owner that he gave it to him to fix, and then he is exempt. Why do we believe him instead of like in Halacha Aleph? where we say that the presumed ownership is on the person that came before. Since he could have said that, that it never happened, that I don't even have this. Since we don't even see the utensil in his possession, he could say you never gave me anything. And that he would certainly get away with with a, with a rabbinic oath. Since he has this migwa, he could have made a better claim. We believe him. Furthermore, even if it was given to him to fix in the presence of witnesses, nevertheless we believe the craftsman. What could he say in this case? Now he no longer has a that it was never given. We have witnesses it was given. We believe him without the migoy, because he has another type of migoy. He could have said that I returned it to you. Someone that has given an object for safekeeping in the presence of witnesses does not need to return it in the presence of witnesses. As the Rambam mentioned in the 11th chapter of Hilchas Malva Valeva. Therefore, he could claim that it was returned. Therefore, we have the craftsman take a rabbinic oath and he's exempt. And he does not have to produce this keli whatsoever. The reason in the beginning of Allah Ha'alaf he has no migoy to say it was returned because now we see it is in his hands. He cannot say that it was returned. But this is all when we do not see the keli. But if he produces it and it is visible, since now it is visible, as we mentioned in Allah Ha'alaf, the original owner brings witnesses that it once belonged to him, and he can take it. Even if it was given to him, even without witnesses, as we mentioned previously in the first halacha. Once it is visible, he has the presumed ownership as, as any other case of an uman. And therefore, since we have this great difference between who has the chazaka, whether it is now in the hands of the original owner is considered to be in his possession since we know it is his existence or we do not know its existence and therefore the presumed ownership is in the hands of the woman because it is migoy we will have another difference in din as in these two cases there's a disagreement about the amount of wages this craftsman is supposed to receive craftsman claims that you agreed to give me two as my wages. The owner says, I only promise to give you one. So we look to see who has the ownership. If the, the utensil is visible, since here the craftsman has no presumed ownership, and he is not able to claim that he bought it, as we mentioned in this halacha, he's lost his, his migoy. The original owner must take an oath with holding a sacred object, as we explained in Hilchas Chiras Venesim, and then the craftsman must give it back to the original owner. Incidentally, over here, as the Rambam writes, as he said in Schiros, there in, in Perak Yeralev of Hilchus Schiros, the Magid Mishnah points out that the Rambam over there says that it only Yeshvu is Heses in this case, not Benakitus Chefetz. And the Magid Mishnah questions the versions of these two Prokim in Rambam. 
However, if the, the, the utensil is not visible, in this case, as we mentioned, since the craftsman would be believed to say he bought this object, we would believe him with a migoi. We believe the uman, and he is able to claim that his wages up to the amount of this total object. He certainly must take an oath by holding a sacred object for Natal, and then he takes the wages that he claims. As is the law by all cases when someone takes an oath and then collects money. As we have explained many times, that if a person wants his oath to be effective in order to collect money, he must first take the oath by holding a safer teta. So it's over here, since he wants to take wages away from the original owner, you must make such an oath. A person who is a craftsman who left his job, he no longer is a craftsman, and so to the child of a craftsman. Are their belongings considered to be in the same category? So the Rambam says no. They are considered like any other person. And therefore, they have presumed ownership in any movable objects, as we explained previously in Allah Aleph, that only in the case of an uman is he an exception to this general rule, and he has no, and he has no presumed ownership. Anyone else does. Allah Dalit. Someone that entered into another one's house in front of the owner of the house. And he leaves with certain objects hidden under his clothing. And witnesses see him. They don't see what it is he's holding, but they see that he's concealing something under his garments. After some time, the owner of the house comes with a claim against him and says, Return to me the objects that I lent to you, and there are witnesses here that you borrowed them. They saw you leaving the house with them. However, that I didn't borrow them, I bought them from you. Now, over here, who do we believe? So the Rambam rules, We do not believe the person that is now holding the objects. He has no chazaka. This is another exception. Although it's a movable object, he has no chazaka. Because as the Rambam will soon explain, if he legally had bought them, what was he doing concealing them underneath his coat? Obviously he intended to try to get away with something later on, denied, uh, deny having borrowed them in the first place. So what happens here? The Nishma Bala Bayes Hensis Al and the owner of the object, the original owner, must take a rabbinic oath on his claim, Shalimochram Lenosnam, that he didn't sell or give these objects, the Yachziru Bezdin Akelim Bala and the court returns them to the original owner. However, Bamed Varimamurim, when does this apply? That the one who was presently holding them has no chazaka? There are three conditions. First of all, it has to be Babala Bayashaina Osir Limkaras Kalov, a homeowner who does not usually sell his objects in his house. In other words, he doesn't customarily sell things from his house. If he customarily would sell things, then it would be more of a chazaka on the hands of the one holding it, he would have a reasonable claim to say that he did buy them. But we but if he didn't, then he his claim is good. The owner's claim is good. And furthermore, it must be that the one who was who produced these objects from under his clothing, he does not usually hide things. There are certain people that wouldn't carry any object open in the street. They would always cover it over. If he was someone that always covers things over, even things which clearly belong to himself, then we, he doesn't lose his chazaka because he held these things under his coat. He, he normally carries everything under his coat. 
And so to a third condition, And these objects were things which is not normal for people to conceal them under their coats. There are some things that people customarily would not carry open in the street. If it was something they don't, then it is, no, again, no proof that it happened that in here he hid them under his coat. Since he have all these three conditions, uh, this homeowner doesn't usually sell. He doesn't usually hide, and these objects are not normally hidden. Therefore, he must return them, because the only reason we assume he hid them under his clothing was to deny the claim later on. But a person who normally sells his objects, he often sells things. Even though this person does not usually conceal things, and these objects are not usually hidden under clothing, nevertheless, since he usually sells, we will believe the one presently holding them after he takes a rabbinic oath that he bought them. And so too, if witnesses saw them revealed, even if this homeowner does not usually sell his things, he is believed to say that he bought these objects because perhaps right now this homeowner needed some money and he sold these objects. And since he has revealed these objects in the open, obviously he was not intending to deny having taken them later and he still has his chazaka like any other person. However, the Rambam reminds us of the law he mentioned in the previous parak. This, however, must be among the objects which are not made originally in order to lend and to sell, as the Rambam mentioned in Perakhas. But objects which were made to lend and, and rent, they are always in the possession, the assumed possession of the original owners, Kamosha Biyadno, as we explained earlier. And even if these vessels, these objects were revealed, and even if this homeowner normally sells his, often sells his objects, his utensils, since he has witnesses that this vessel is normally made only in order to lend out and rent, as the Ramam explained that, in the previous paddock, that this is if the object was originally made exclusively for that purpose. And it's Yudua who lay, and he has witnesses that it originally belonged to him. We take it away from this person, and we give it back to the original owner. At least until he can bring a proof that it was sold or given to him as a gift. As the law is with land, as the Ram will explain in Paddock Yeralaf, that land is also always assumed to be in the possession of the original owner, until a proof can be brought, and so too for such an object. Even if the person who is now holding this object dies, we will take it away from his heir, and here he won't have to take an oath. If he would be taking it away from the person himself, he'd have to take a shavuot's hensis, as we mentioned in the previous halacha. But over here he won't have to. 
Since his father would be unable to successfully claim that he bought it, or that it was a deposit by him, so too this person, meaning the heir, cannot make him take an oath. Because he doesn't know, his father wouldn't successfully make that claim. And to, in order to make him take an oath, he must know definitely that this was done. On time of Shema, on, on perhaps we don't make somebody else swear. Therefore, if, therefore, the heir has a definite claim and says that it was given or sold to my father in my presence, I know for sure. In this case, since he knows, the original owner must take a rabbinic oath to get it back, as in all other cases of people swearing, including the case of the person himself. The Rambam mentioned this law in the previous Perek Halacha Gimel. Ukvar Biyarno, he already explained over there, Sheyesh Mishahedah, Sheyesh Mabalabayis Heses. Barachakach Yachzer Kelev Miyata Yedish. That there is someone that rules that in order to recover this object from the air, the original owner must take a rabbinic oath. As the Rambam said over there, that the idea is Tainin Liyedish, that we bring, we make a claim for the air, even if he is unable to claim for himself. But the Rambam says his opinion does not lean in this direction. He does not agree with it, that since we, he, he does, there is no real claimant over here, the heir has no definite claim, he cannot force the original owner to take an oath. Halach And this Allah that Rambam will explain various cases in which are similar to land, things which grow, but are different from the law of land itself, which is always in the, in the possession of the, of the owner. Mishalokach kardum. Somebody that took an axe for Omar, Hareini Hailech, Ligzer, Diklesha, Plaini, Shamachra, And he says that I'm now going to cut down the, the date tree of this person who sold it to me. Makaras Hadekel. And then he went and cut the tree. Now, this tree, is it considered land or is it now considered movable? Harizah Becheskosa. It is in his possession now. Why? She'ein odem meiz pona v'keres ilan she'ein He has a chazaka over here, a special chazaka, even though we might look at it as being land. Over here, we have a chazaka that a person does not have so much chutzpah, so much audacity to cut down a tree which is not his. And even if the original owner should claim that they didn't sell it to him, the one that cut it down takes a rabbinic oath that it's his and he is exempt. And once it is already cut, it has the law of any other movable object. And so to someone that went into another's field and consumed the fruit and, and the produce for one or two years. And the owners of the field claim that he went there without permission and he's a thief and he ate the fruit without permission. And there are witnesses that he ate this fruit. So he cannot claim he has no migoy to say that he didn't eat it. There are witnesses. The one that went there said that I went with your per- permission to eat this fruit. So too over here, the, the one that went down there and ate is believed after taking a rabbinic oath with his claim. Why? Because It's another chazaka, a presumption that a person does not have so much audacity to eat fruit which doesn't belong to him in the field. And even though the land is still considered to be in the possession of the previous owners, the fruit is not. 
because a person does not normally sell the fruit of his field with a document. In order to tell the one who ate the fruit, bring me the document to prove that I sold it to you. Should it be the field itself, the field is normally sold with a document, and therefore he must have the document for proof. But since one does not normally sell the fruit with a document, we wouldn't expect them to have any, any proof either. And we don't even need to say that if he consumed the fruit for many years, meaning more than three, here he has a migoy. Since he would be able to claim that he bought it, as the Ramah will explain in Perakyot Aleph, that if a person has been in the field for three years, and the original owner has not objected, he would be able to claim that he bought it. So since he has this migoy, Neman Lamer Laperus says he is believed to say that he went down there only to eat the fruit, and he takes a rabbinic oath to that effect and is thereafter exempt. Halachazayim. From here to the end of the paddock, the Rambam deals with various cases where two people are simultaneously con- uh, holding an object or claiming possession of it. Two people are holding on to the same utensil. Or riding on top of the same animal. Or one was riding and one was leading the animal. Or they're both sitting on the side of a pile of wheat. And the wheat is sitting either in an alleyway or in the courtyard which belongs to both of them which are places in which it's possible for them to make a kinyan, an act of acquisition. One of them says, the whole thing belongs to me, the whole animal, the whole pile of wheat, and the other one says, no, it belongs to me. What do we do? Each one must swear, after holding a sacred object, they swear that he does not have less than half, and then they divide it equally between them. Why should they take such a severe oath with a, holding a Torah scroll? This is a decree of the saints. In order to prevent people from grabbing their other one's talis, just taking an example, the other one's code, and being able to take half of it without even having to swear. In order to prevent people from grabbing things away from each other. Our sages put this strict oath on it, on them, oath ka'en shel teda, in order to prevent them from grabbing things away. Halachachas. If one of them claims, however, that the whole thing belongs to me, and the other one claims that, only, that a half belongs to me. In this case, really, they are only disputing a half. A half of it, it's already agreed it belongs to the first person. The only thing which is to be under dispute is the second half. Therefore, The one that says it all, be- all belongs to me must swear that he has no less than three quarters. Because a half, there's nothing to talk about. The other person admits that he owes that half. The only thing to divide is to divide the other half. So it's divided into two pieces. So one quarter, one quarter, a half of the remaining is given to him. So therefore he swears he has no less than three quarters. The one that originally claimed a half swears that he has no less than a quarter. And then one takes three quarters and the other one takes one quarter. He claimed a half and he gets half of his claim, half of the dispute. The other one claimed the whole thing, he gets what is, is, there is no dispute about and half of what is disputed for a total of three quarters. 
Vein Shvua Kala, Vein Shvua Chamura. Now the Rambam learns a general principle about how to apply the oaths. From here we learn to any case where someone is swearing in order to take away, take away something. Whether it is with a light oath, meaning a rabbinic oath, such as these cases, Vein Shvua Chamura, or Shvua Kala, perhaps meaning a Shvua Hesses, where someone will be a will take away at, as a result of hipoch shvua, v'shvua's heses, or a stricter oath. She'ena nishba al-mashatayin. He doesn't swear on what he is claiming about. Ela al-mashaneto. Afopishatayin yeser. He rather swears about what he's going to end up taking, even though he might be claiming more. Over here, we should perhaps make each one claim the whole thing. One claims that the whole thing belongs to him, the other one claims it all belongs to him, and then they'll split it. But we see from this case we don't want them taking an oath, which is certainly false. So therefore we have them take an oath on what they're going to collect, not on what they're going to claim, even though it's less. Both of them are grasping onto a, a talis, grasping onto a cloak, which as explained in the Gemara and brought in Shulchanara, it means that they're holding onto a substantial portion of this garment, more than three square etzboyes, which is the minimal amount of a garment for Kenyan or for Kabbalah's Tuma and so on. Three fingers width. One of them says it all belongs to him, and the other one says it all belongs to him. Over here, we don't merely split it. This one takes up to the point which he has grabbed in his hand, and the other one takes what he has grabbed in his hand. And what's remaining from the garment that they're not grasping onto, that neither one is holding, they split evenly after swearing, as we mentioned in the previous halachas. And furthermore, and each one is able to put another oath on his on his on the other person. That everything is taken is according to the law, that it's all taken legally. As the Rambam mentioned at the beginning of Hilchasayim Venitn, the idea of Gilgul Shvua, that even though normally he might not be able to force him to take such an oath, once he is already taking an oath, we can put other claims on top of that oath he is already taking. Gilgul Shvua. This, however, is all when they were holding a substantial portion of this garment. But halacha yud, how you zeh eiches b'chutin shebesfasa talis, v'zeh b'chutin shebesfasa cheres. If one of them was only holding the strands which are on the end of the garment, and the other one with the strands on the other end of the garment, they are not holding enough to have a legal, legally valid amount for kinyan. Hoking kula b'shava achashenish boyin. The entire garment is split evenly after they swear. And now the Rambam gives a general principle regarding the previous, this and the previous three halachas. That when we say that the things are split up, we're referring here to money. Not that you should break up the utensil itself, or cut, out, cut up the garment, or kill the animal and split it up. It means that you sell it and split the value of it equally. Halacha Yudalef. Let's say one person was holding the, virtually the entire garment. He's holding on to the whole thing. And the other person is wrestling with him and hanging on to him, trying to get it away. He has barely has a hold of this garment. Over here, this is not called enough that he should have partial possession. It is in the possession of the one who is holding on to the entire thing, even though the other person is barely grasping onto it. Halacha Yudbeis. 
Let's say that both of them are holding on to the garment. However, one of them grants it away from the other in front of us, in front of the Bezdin. The one away from whom it was grabbed doesn't respond. He doesn't say anything. Even though later on he screams and says, wait, this belongs to me. We do not take it away from the one who is presently in, in possession. Why? Because since at, to begin with he was quiet, he didn't object, it's as if he admits that the other one is really the owner. Let's say later on the second one grabs it away from the first after it was grabbed away from him and he was quiet. In this case, here, even if the first one does not scream out from the beginning and even to the end, after they finish in court, in other words, he never ever called out and cried out that it belonged to him, nevertheless they split it equally. Because over here, since it was origin- it was gr- he was totally in possession of it, before the second person grabbed it away, and he was totally in possession in the presence of the court, Perhaps he thought he had nothing to worry about. The judges saw that it belonged to him, so what does he need to object for? On the other hand, there's not enough of a presumption that he should have full, full possession. Perhaps he was admitting that it really belonged to the other person. Therefore, since there's Dodin Lakan, Dodin Lakan, we could look at it either way, therefore it's split among them. Incidentally, in the Gemara, this question about when originally the second person was quiet at the beginning of the halacha, this is not solved in the Gemara. It's a bayadola But nevertheless, the Ramam Paskins here, that it stays with the person that grabbed it away, according to the general principle that in any case of doubt, you cannot take money away from another one unless you have clear proof. Since here the first one, first person is holding on to it, and it is not decided in the Gemara that Ramam says the law is with him. Another difficulty with this halacha is the word lay, uh, six words from the end, where it says, even though Sharishan lay tzavach cholkin, which makes it seem to appear that the Rambam's telling us that even though he didn't call out, you might think that he should have no portion of it whatsoever, and we say no, that even though the first person from whom the second one grabbed it away didn't scream at all, he still gets half of it. However, other versions of the Rambam do not have the word lay, and the meaning has changed according to this. It would mean that even though he was screaming from beginning to end, still choking, which would mean that you might think that since he had it originally, the fact that the second one grabbed it away would be ineffective and he, ineffective, and he would regain possession of the whole thing. And the Rambam tell, tells you no, that even though the first one is screaming from beginning to end, still they split it equally. The second one gets a portion of it. The version of the Magad Mishnah at least does have the word lay in it, and that's why you read it that way first. And now the final lach of the Perek, Halach Gimel. Let's say both of them came holding on to the talis. We told them, the court ruled, Go and split up the value. They went out, and then they end up back in court again. Now only one of them is holding on to it. And they disagree about how it was split up. The first one, the one that is holding on to the entire garment, says that the second person admitted that it belongs to me. And he dropped his claim. The Zetai, and the one that doesn't hold it, says, He says, either that I sold it to him. Uh, other uh, commentaries seem to think that it should be closer to what the Gemara says, that I, that I lent it out to him. I rented it, my, my half to him. 
In any case, that I rented it to him, and, and really I still have half of the value, or that I sold it to him, in which case it would mean that he has not been paid for it, or that it was grabbed away from me by force. In these cases, Now, whoever wants to take money from someone else must bring the proof. Even though it was decided in court that it was split up, once one party is holding on to it, whoever wants to take away from him is like any other case of case of Mechavera, and he must prove it. And if he should not be able to prove his claim, the one that is holding it has to swear that it is his, and then he is exempt from further payment. Perhaps the explanation of this halacha is that since we already saw that the parties did not trust one another, they should have... Uh, both parties should have ensured that everything was done in the presence of witnesses. This idea is mentioned in the Gemara as far as the claim that I rented it out to him. That the court says, we don't believe you. Here it is, you claim that he's a thief and he's taking away your talis and now you're going to rent it out to him without any witnesses taking uh, witnesses present? We don't believe such a claim. And so too, perhaps, we can say in these other claims that since he does not trust the other, he would not do it unless there are witnesses present. The Kenko Kiyetzebazah, so too, any similar case.